So an analyst at Wolf Research, Mr. Zucchini, I believe is how you pronounce his name, he has downgraded Palantir to an underperform rating, giving a very specific price target, citing numerous reasons too, in which we're going to focus upon throughout this commentary. You can of course find the full report on Dantins.com and subscribe to the Deep Dive newsletter. It's the first link in the description for one monthly email on an equity. Deep research, value-driven, no spam, one email per month. So the four reasons he included within his notes that we found on postondantins.com included, firstly, the decreasing revenue, secondly, the unpredictability of governments, and he also cited reasons such as the declining free cash flow and the decreasing operating margins. Specifically, I want to focus on the unpredictability of contracts within the governments and the decreasing revenues. So firstly, regarding the unpredictability of government contracts, and this is something we've spoken about numerous times. This is the very old argument, but it still has truth. And I think there is still much concern to be had, especially in consideration of what some people seemingly deem as a high valuation for Palantir. I'm not one of those people. But it turns out that the government, unfortunately, does have a lumpiness. And let's just listen firstly to what Piper Sandler said, because they posted a note that we posted on Duntons.com in which mentioned that Palantir is going to experience mass upside. But there is some nuance that we must identify specifically for the government. Piper Sandler stated that Palantir is going to continue to see growth within the US governmental business as they broaden their footprint across governmental agencies and the largest customer defense is expected to grow further. The investment firm states how Palantir has gained more traction with agencies beyond defense, including the VA, the DOE, and these organizations are going to provide ongoing upside. Piper Sander notes the modernization that is occurring within the government, including the CDC, the NIH, and the FDA and the Air Force, as agencies are rapidly adopting technology to track cases and resources, specifically during the pandemic, and these initial use cases haven't acted as sole one-off contracts, but instead have enabled Palantir to get their foot in the door, and now the stickiness of the software solution is basically ingrained within all of these departments within the USG specifically. Pipesan specifically mentioned that for the USG, and for the government in general, that this successfully demonstrates the utility of Palantir's software solution and the fact that Palantir has sticky product offerings. Palantir, they believe, has maintained long-lasting relationships with an array of customers, and these Contracts seem to be increasing within size as the product increases within utility. It's very clear to see. In fact, Pipesana mentioned within their report that you can find on Dantons.com that Palantir has maintained relationships and contracts with the Army, Navy, US Special Operations Command, the CDC, ICE, and FBI for at least 10 years consecutive years. And we believe these long-lasting partnerships demonstrate both the usefulness of Palantir's platform and the high switching costs once embedded. And in terms of the outlook for 2022 end and the final year of 2023, what we can see is something very, very interesting. Pipesana mentions how Palantir is going to continue to see strong growth in USG, and the requested discretionary budgets for the Department of Defense are going to increase 5% in the full year of 2022 and another 4% in 2023. And I've mentioned many times I believe this is slightly conservative in consideration of the recent catalysts, in consideration of the, the recent events within Ukraine and Russia specifically. Defense is going to be a much bigger emphasis for the following years than perhaps prior one anticipated. Please note that this report was created before the events in Ukraine and Russia, therefore about seven months ago or so, therefore haven't necessarily taken into account these catalysts and how this will impact USG spending, discretionary spending on defense, but also globally. So we did some research on Dantons.com and found specifically that high DOD exposure, apparently the majority of their revenue within the USG comes from the DOD, of course, because the DOD is obviously the largest, largest um, contractor and department. 
The DoD requested discretionary budgets going to increase 5% in the year 2022 and a further 4% in 2023. Obviously, with the DoD being the highest point of exposure for penalty within the USG, this is a very good thing. I'm going to give some statistics in terms of the revenue growth that is experienced thanks to the stickiness once ingrained. In 2020, penalty's USG revenue grew from 91% year over year from 248 million to 474 million. However, we estimate the penalty's revenue from the Department of Health and Human Services grew 892% in 2020 from a sole $6.4 million base in 2019 to $56.9 million in 2020. That's $56.9 million in 2020. And from 3% of 2019 USG revenue to 12% of 2020 USG revenue. Just some statistics there. Showing specifically, most interestingly, the Department of Health and Human Services growing 800, almost 900% 900 in 2020 from 6.4 million in 2019 to 56.9 million in 2020. Fairly interesting. So in regards to the first Wolf Research analysis and their underperform rating and their four or so dollar price targets on Palantir, what we can see, I think it's fairly logical to state, is that over the long term, the CAGA within the government is fairly outstanding and, and history is proving that to be the case. However, the question is, when will this revenue become realised? Because obviously governments are incredibly inefficient. Contract allocations are often not so straightforward. Government is not an efficient place at all. And when it comes to getting revenue realised for contractors, this can take some time. And we've seen this to be the case just over the past few quarters. We had quarters of stagnation or deceleration, in which many people jumped to the conclusion that this was based on poor product market fit. But in reality, it was not. In reality, it was just based on the fact that the governments are inefficient when it comes to the allocation of capital towards these vendors. It just takes time for these revenues to be realised, despite the fact that contracts have been signed. And within recent times, for example, the Department of the Air Force actually expressed their concerns and their frustration with this exact issue. Interestingly, and to ease concerns of Palantir investors, the Air Force Secretary made the case that the CR, the continual resolution in the upcoming 2023 fiscal year, is going to have major negative effects for defence contractors. Kent, Mr. Kendall, he's called, explained how operating over a CR keeps spending levels frozen from the previous year's level, in which limits the DOD's ability to adjust for impacts of inflation, as other increases within budgets too. The thing that is unique about this year is that inflation is occurring, and it's unpredictable. And the CR locks you into a previous year's level of funding where the prices are increasing. So you need to get to a point where you can make some adjustments because of that, Mr. Kendall said. So what he's mentioning is the fact that for certain defence contractors, for vendors specifically, often there is lumpiness when it comes to revenue realisation. But over the longer term, this translates into a larger CAGR. The question is, contracts have been signed, but when is the revenue going to be realised? And sometimes that can have a delay, a lag time of a few quarters. I think we've seen that most specifically over the past year. And just to give us some more optimism, COO Sanko mentioned recently in regards to the lumpiness, that the lumpiness comes down to contract timing and events occurring. We're not going to deprive customers with our software just because the paperwork is not there, he famously mentioned. And the COO has concluded that there's going to be meaningful upside within the governments for the next few quarters. He mentioned within a quote, Sankar, things that are new, they're delayed, said the CEO. Sankar concluded within the call from analysts with Morgan Stanley, there are often complicated dynamics with budgets and this therefore can create volatility for the upside as projects can get caught in a blitz to get money out the door. So just to clarify the commentary from the Wolf Research Analyst, he stated that there's uncertainty when it comes to the governments. I think it's fairly logical to state now that we can see specifically that the government sometimes does have lumpiness when it comes to 
contract revenue being realised, despite the fact those contracts have been signed. We saw that specifically, we're seeing that now within the Ukrainian crisis, that contract revenue has not been realised, despite the work the punter has done. It just takes time to become realised. It's a pain, it's an issue, but I won't say that it is problematic for an investment thesis. Over a period of five years, the Kager is absolutely staggering within the government. Now, obviously, this is another reason as to why you need the commercial space to significantly outpace the growth of the government in order to ensure that on a quarterly basis, there is limited lumpiness associated with revenues. I think this would ensure and incentivize that Wall Street can get involved within the purchasing of stock without being concerned, as is seen within the case of this Wolf Analyst research. So we also noted the fact that there's decreasing revenue concerns, a fairly generalized statement, but I just wanted to clarify some of this commentary. So as we previously mentioned within the government, it's fair to say that there's upside ahead. And whilst the revenue may not be realized up front, it may take time for the revenue to become realized. The contracts are being signed and revenue is growing over the long term. Regarding the commercial space, there are some points in which investors must battle with. Morgan Stanley recently posted a note in which we shared on Dantons.com. And Morgan Stanley basically stated that within an increasingly inflationary world, technology is the deflationary force, and organizations are going to be moving towards deflationary technologies in order to mitigate the effects of inflation. They stated that cost pressures are going to make companies accelerate investments in automation and productivity-enhancing technologies. Persistent inflation in areas such as supply chain, labor, procurement, and energy have given rise to transformational investments across industries. Technologies that focus on cost reductions and productivity are becoming much more valuable for organizations. And I suppose this is the thing that we saw, specifically with Tyson Foods, in which Palantir saved $200 plus million within a few years of adoption. And that is through the superiority of Palantir Software Solution, the fact that they create alpha, they save time, and ultimately they save costs. $200 million saved by the introduction of Palantir Software Solution. That is unheard of. Morgan Stanley mentioned with some urgency that the case for digital transformation, for true digital transformation, has never been more urgent. Digital technology is now a deflationary force within an inflationary economy. In other words, in consideration of the high cost of capital and labor, companies are going to be investing within deflationary technologies and software to gain competitive edge and to try to increase efficiency. So the point that I'm making, and I counteract this within the piece to writing on Dantons.com, I stated that... Whilst I agree completely, I think it's dangerous to be so idealistic about the world. It's dangerous to live in some sort of fantasy reality in which just because there's chaos occurring, it doesn't necessarily translate directly into Palantir's adoption mass massively. I don't think it's logical to assume that instantaneously. There are still issues in which are mitigating the adoption of Palantir at the masses. And this includes that of the invasive software solution, the lack of development-friendly services and the expensive nature. In consideration of the complex economic environment, it can be reasonably assumed that companies are going to cut costs, and within an idealistic world, software adoption is going to increase, as mentioned by Morgan Stanley, in an attempt to, for these organizations to become more efficient and thus save time and therefore save costs. But currently, the point that I'm making is there's still a lot of friction when it comes to the adoption of Palantir. So, in consideration of the inflationary environment, they need to reduce the friction associated with the with adoption of the solution. And this therefore will lead to mass hypergrowth, one may argue. For example, Palantir is far more invasive than other tools. And this technological superiority and invasive nature comes with trade-offs, including that of higher expenses. This may dissuade usage and adoption of Palantir. Tweet's concern though of investors, in all fairness to Palantir, they recently made changes to their pricing strategy, which is to focus upon consumption-based pricing. In other words, 
pay-as-you-go type model. The more you consume, the more you pay. This is the model one, which is now industry-wide. Prior to this model of pricing, there were a few other ways to include Palantir within your organization. And this basically included a lump sum contract, in which was obviously incredibly hard for organizations to stomach, if you put it that way. The focus on consumption-based pricing allows folks to start with no commit, and instead companies can start with issues that they want to focus on, and over time slowly start to consume more. This therefore allows for a lower barrier to entry, but also potentially for customers to move towards the Palantir full stack eventually, in consideration of the superiority and the utility of their software. In other words, a consumption-based pricing model is a service provision, a payment scheme in which the customer pays solely according to the resources used. This is in comparison to the prior pricing models, which was based on basically all you can eat, namely providing everything at once for organizations. Another issue that I focused upon for such a long time is the fact that Palantir yet does not have a full development community. They need a freemium trial. If you get a freemium trial within your organization, this results in the ability for developers within the organization to advocate for the usage, the adoption of Palantir, because they've had the ability to trial this software in their own time on a freemium tier. They haven't had have to pay hundreds of millions of dollars for a software solution they're not 100% sure on. They haven't used in the past. Through the freemium model, this is going to increase the understanding of Palantir from an organizational point of view, and thus will ensure and incentivize organizations to purchase the complex software. Usually innovation does thrive within times of chaos, but the point that I'm making is very clear. I'm stating that specifically for the commercial sector, Palantir must reduce the friction associated with adoption of the platform in order to ensure that Palantir can thrive within this complex macroeconomic period. And this can be achieved via a freemium tier, consumption-based pricing model, the faster ramping of the sales force. Palantir must act fast to ensure that the adoption of their products occurs whilst companies are within this challenging macroeconomic period. Software is deflationary. We are in an inflationary world and we will be in this world for a long time. Palantir clearly is a superior technological solution, but there needs to be an emphasis on strength of the strategy to ensure that hypergrowth can occur within this challenging macroeconomic period.